This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to our international show. We have these every so often. We're having one now because yours truly is here in California. But the show's producer is five time zones away in the Caribbean. How do we do it? Well, let's first see if we can. So we're going to start off, as we usually like to do, with on this date in history. A look back at things that took place on this calendar day. Our date in question is the 4th of September. It was on September 4th in the year 476 by traditional reckoning that the Roman Empire came to an end when the German general Odoacer, I think that's how it's pronounced, deposed the usurper Romulus Augustulus, generally considered to be the last of the Western Roman emperors. Of course, the eastern wing of the Roman Empire would persist another thousand years. In the city of Byzantium, also known as Constantinople, also known today as Istanbul. On September 4th in 1781, Felipe de Neva founds Los Angeles, California. The city's full name is El Pueblo de Nuestra Señorita de Reina de Los Angeles de Porcincula. You can see why it goes by L.A. September 4th in 1888, American inventor George Eastman patented the Kodak camera, the first to use roll film instead of glass plates. And on this date in 1957, Arkansas Governor Orville Faubus called up the National Guard to keep nine African-American students out of the all-white Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. He succeeded until President Dwight Eisenhower sent in federal troops. And on that very same day in Detroit, the American automaker Ford proclaimed E-Day in celebration of its new Edsel. The unpopular Edsels were produced for only three years. Our quote of the day comes from the columnist and hostess Elsa Maxwell, who once said, Under pressure, people admit to murder, setting fire to the village church, or robbing a bank, but never to being bores. Which leads into our quip from Sid Caesar, who once said, The trouble with telling a good story is that it invariably reminds the other fellow of a dull one. Our joke of the day comes from David Letterman, who, referring to the Napa earthquake last week, said, A 6.0 earthquake. It was so powerful it knocked Arnold Schwarzenegger off his housekeeper. And our bonus joke of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said, A new study found that having a big wedding boosts your chance of having a good marriage, while having a destination wedding boosts your chance of having friends who hate your guts. Our stat of the day, this probably should be our stat of the decade, is that in 1952, corporations accounted for 32% of federal tax revenue. As of 2013, it was less than 10%, according to Vox.com. By the way, we here at Radio Parallax support the idea of boycotting Burger King, which apparently is going to buy Tim Hortons, and afterward then pretend that it's a Canadian company and therefore shouldn't have to pay any federal taxes. Of course, the fact that our elected officials and supposed regulatory agencies allow this crap to happen shows how bought and paid for they are. 
Our anecdote of the day, and I'm not sure it really is one, but we're going to use it anyway, comes from Dave Barry. Said Dave Barry, at the aquarium store, I discovered how complex fish society is. I'd point to some colorful fish and say, what about these? The aquarium guy would say, those are great fish, but they do get aggressive when they mate. And I'd say, like, how aggressive? And he'd say, like, they'll kill all the other fish. This was a recurring theme. I'd point to some fish, and the aquarium guy would inform me that these fish would become aggressive if there were fewer than four of them, or an odd number of them, or it was a month containing the letter R, or they heard the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? It turns out an aquarium is a powder keg that can explode with deadly violence at any moment, just like the Middle East or a junior high school. Our good news for today's show is that according to Pitchfork.com, Buoyed by nostalgia and a new generation of fans, sales of vinyl records in the U.S. increased from 1 million in 2007 to 6.1 million last year. Although vinyl still accounts for only about 2% of total album sales, music executives say the format won't disappear anytime soon. All right, let's take a jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly, as we like to do. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week a couple weeks back for a hot pursuit. Or is it stupidity? Or is it recklessness? But, but evidently, U.S. Olympic wrestler Dremiel Byers chased a deer through the grounds of a Lexus dealership in Colorado Springs, then shot the animal with a bow and arrow in front of shocked bystanders. Byers, 39, was charged with hunting out of season. Because we presume being a jackass isn't a criminal offense in Colorado Springs. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the Jedi Knights, apparently, with the news that British officials have refused to issue a passport to Laura Matthews, age 29, who changed her middle name to Skywalker in 2008 and now uses the signature L. Skywalker. British officials said her Star Wars-inspired moniker infringed a trademark. And no, we don't understand how a name that you choose for yourself keeps you out of a passport because of a trade by infringement. I I don't understand it. If we have any listeners among British passport office workers, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and explain this one. And it was an ugly week last week for quarantines with the news that Liberian security forces surrounded a Monrovia slum to enforce a quarantine after suspected Ebola patients escaped from a clinic. Yes, that's the word they use, escaped from a clinic. Distrust of the government runs high in Liberia, and angry protesters claiming that Ebola was a hoax looted the clinic in the West Point slum, stealing bloody mattresses and other contaminated supplies that could spread the deadly hemorrhagic virus. And yes, apparently infected patients of the clinic fled into a densely populated area. This can't be doing much for the Liberian tourist industry. And here's an item we think we should quote from, from the boring but important section of The Week magazine. It noted a couple weeks back that the Obama administration announced it would change the way travelers can ask to be removed from its controversial no-fly list 
after a federal judge ruled that travelers lack a meaningful way to challenge the designation. About 48,000 people are on the list of suspected terrorists banned from air travel, though the government will not confirm or deny that a person's name is on the list. Travelers often find that they have been given a no-fly designation only when they go to an airport where they're put through additional screening or prevented from boarding a flight to, from, or within the U.S. They can complain to the government, but the appeals process lacks transparency. We hope they make some progress there. And we have to confess something we missed terribly on this program are what used to be the annual Esquire Magazine's Dubious Achievements of the Year awards. Today, given the onslaught of all the faux news out there, uh, Esquire elected to abandon this. It's a shame because they would take real news stories from out the year and then caption them in an often brilliant way. One recurring headline related to different stories was Worst New Flavor. And we're going to borrow that one, resurrect it, and <laughs> insert a Worst New Flavor into this portion of the program, with an item that comes from Mental Floss. To quote from the magazine, Gelatin, a basic ingredient in gummy bears, marshmallows, and candy corn, is a pain to make. Since it's derived from animal collagen, in fact, it's what you get when you boil down the hooves and the hides, the results of each batch can be inconsistent. Not to mention that there's a very small risk that animal byproducts can spread, infectious, can spread infectious disease. But, notes the magazine, there's a secret ingredient that can make Jell-O better. Human DNA. Apparently in 2011, scientists in Beijing confirmed that inserting fragments of human DNA into strains of yeast made gelatin more consistent and controllable. And who doesn't strive for more consistent gelatin? And controllable? It goes without saying. But noted the magazine, the method wasn't new. It's, in fact, been used to make vaccines, gel drug capsules, and insulin for years. Magazine added, don't worry, downing copious jello shots does not make you a cannibal. The magazine quoted writer Ed Grabianowski as saying, it's not made of human tissue in any way, it's pure chemistry. Oh yeah? Then why is it human DNA? If it was just DNA somebody manufactured, there'd be no human in the name. It would just be DNA. So if anyone out there listening is part of the food science department here at UCD or anyplace else, please let us know what the hell's going on with human DNA in our jello. Because that just doesn't sound right in any way. Something else that doesn't sound right in any way is the fact that down in Mexico, a copper mine has spilled 10 million gallons of toxic acid into the Sonora River, turning it bright orange. The Mexican government has charged Grupo Mexico, one of the world's largest copper producers, with environmental violations. The company said heavy rain had caused an overflow at a containment pond, but environmental inspectors said the pond was improperly constructed. The Buena Vista mine is just 25 miles south of the Arizona border. All right, let's take a page out of the Michael Krasny playbook. Mr. Krasny, of course, is the host of Forum, one of the great talk shows to be heard on public radio or anywhere else. He talked a couple weeks back with various people about the problem with our aging water supply, the pipes that uh, bring us 
are H2O or in some cases over a century old. They're breaking here and there and causing a loss of quite a bit of the wet stuff, which is bad news in a drought year. It's a piece in New Scientist magazine by Naomi Lubick titled Pipe Dream, addressing this issue of how uh, our water supplies are problematic. The article in the magazine suggests that we may need to decentralize our water supply system, which is an interesting idea, but also brought up something that we cited a few years back in talking about a sewage treatment plant that was being built in Sacramento and how the water supply to and the sewage supply out were being routed near one another. Oh, and also, by the way, under the American River. Peace and New Scientists note that um, leaky pipes are expensive to fix, but also a health hazard. Once the water pressure is below a certain point, that's when things can move in. It's a problem often compounded by the tendency of laying clean water and wastewater pipes close to one another. A Norwegian study in 2007 implicated leaking water pipes in many cases of gastrointestinal illness there. Duh! In 2009-10, the most recent years for which figures are available, the CDC here in America tracked more than 30 U.S. disease outbreaks back to contaminated public water supplies. Of course, this pales to what goes on around the world, where an estimated 3.5 million people die due to poor water and sanitation. But you do have to ask, what is the deal here in the U.S. of A. with our reluctance to spend money to keep things functioning, keep them up to date, keep bridges from falling down, water pipes from breaking, etc., etc.? I don't know if you've been on the highway lately, dear listener, but boy, there's some pretty crappy roads here in the Golden State, and they're getting crappier. Wonderful briefing paper in The Week magazine addressing this very issue. Talked about uh, our roads, also the pipes that we're depending upon. The piece noted that in July, a 93-year-old water main burst beneath Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, sending 10 millions of gallons of drinking water gushing into the streets. In Houston, more than a quarter of the city's water supply is either lost or unaccounted for because of underground leaks. In fact, every year there are 240,000 water main breaks in the U.S. and inadequate sewage systems led up to 850 billion gallons of untreated waste flow into rivers and lakes. Yet we keep taking a Band-Aid approach, just kind of, you know, a, a half-assed fix that doesn't actually lay new pipe and, of course, leads to problems just a couple years down the road. Speaking of the road, in the Q&A section of the briefing on uh, our crumbling infrastructure, the magazine noted that America once had the best road and transportation system in the world but that many of the urban roads and highways built decades ago now carry five to ten times the traffic the original engineers expected and require constant emergency repairs, creating horrible traffic jams. Of course, the same can be said for water and gas pipelines. Some of that infrastructure is more than 100 years old, but it wasn't designed to last more than a 50-year lifespan. Asking how did things get so bad, the magazine pointed out that the U.S. built much of its vast network of highways and roads beginning in the 50s when Dwight Eisenhower signed the Federal Aid Highway Act that linked rural and urban areas and spurred economic growth. And for most of the subsequent 40 years, government spending on highway construction and maintenance was seen as an important investment and averaged well above 2% of gross domestic spending. By 2012, it fell to a 20-year low of 1.5%. By way of comparison, China spends 7% of its GDP on infrastructure. India spends 5 
As a result, the U.S. infrastructure now ranks 14th globally. How are we going to fix this? Money. Of course, we won't even get into the whole thing about, like, if you took $400 billion out of the F-35 weapons program, which is never going to make us safer, and put it into highways, we'd be better off, but we won't go there. When it comes to spending money on roads, the majority of that spending comes from state and local governments and the Federal Highway Trust Fund, the HFT, which contributes 40 to $50 billion a year to construction projects and is funded by a gas tax of 18.4 cents per gallon. That rate has not increased since 1993. AAA spokesman Kathleen Bauer said raising the gas tax is the most viable, responsible, and effective near-term solution. But... Since 1995, when conservative lobbyist Grover Norquist persuaded Republicans to pledge to never raise taxes, Congress has refused to increase the gas tax. This prompted President Obama to say about his GOP counterparts, it's not that they don't like roads, they just don't want to pay for it. Speaking of transportation, one thing we probably should rely on more in this country is a rail system. The highways have this tremendous subsidy from gas taxes, but uh, the railroad industry has pretty much been left on its own, which prompts me to refer to a rather startling uh, comment by Marilyn Vos Savant, who we like to quote from every so often, reputedly the world's smartest woman, to which some would say, you mean the world's smartest human. Anyway, someone asked Marilyn, the railway industry claims that it achieves incredible gas mileages, about 450 miles per gallon. How is that possible? Said Marilyn, the gas mileage is real, contrary to naysayers who maintain that because railroad mileage is cited in ton miles per gallon instead of simply miles per gallon, it means something different. Rather, the term is more specific. A freight train can move one ton of weight about 450 miles on a single gallon of gas. To match this mileage, a one-ton car would have to get 450 miles per gallon, and a two-ton vehicle would have to get 225 miles per gallon. To car owners, this seems unbelievable. How can railroads do it? Well, first, a train weighs far more than one ton, so it consumes much of that gas mileage just moving itself. Still, trains are extremely efficient. They have the benefit of an infrastructure that includes steel wheels rolling on steel rails instead of soft rubber tires making frequent turns on pavement. Also, highly sophisticated braking systems and far, far fewer starts and stops, which kills you in the mileage department. So if anyone out there works for UP or SP and wants to talk about the kind of mileage railroads are delivering, drop us a line, Info at Radio Parallax, and we'll bring you on the show. Well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug I'm in love I'm all shook up Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah Well, my hands are shaking and my knees are weak I can't seem to stand on my own two feet Who do you think when you have such luck? I'm in love I'm all shook up Ooh, ooh 